Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Digital Rookie Podcast. This is part one of my chat with Luca Ganano. Luca is currently an executive producer at Melbourne radio station 3AW and has many years of experience working in the radio industry. Luca provides me with a great insight into what it is like working in radio, the challenges, and what it takes to have a successful career in the industry. If you want to connect with Luca, feel free to check out his LinkedIn. While you're there, connect with me, Patrick Quay. For more Digital Rookie content, check out our Instagram and Facebook at Digital Rookie Hub and our website, digitalrookiehub.com. Also, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It's greatly appreciated. All right, Luca Ganano, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Absolutely no worries. So, Luca, I know you have some really key experience in the sports digital industry, in particular through your roles at Carlton and 3AW, and this is something that I really want to get stuck into and focus on. But um, before we get into your experience particularly, I wanted to ask you a bit about uh, the start of your career. And sure. can you tell me a bit about what your goals and aspirations uh, that you had for your career as a university graduate and just a bit of context as to your key professional passions and interests? Yeah, no worries. So I studied um, journalism at Monash. So that was from 04 to, to 06. And I guess the first couple of years that I was in that course, I, I probably didn't fully understand or really have too much of an idea as to where I'd wind up. I think that I'm not sure if it's the same case now, but um, it was always sort of drilled into us that, you know, to start off in journalism, we, we'd have to get a job at a you know, regional newspaper and work our way from there. And I, I just sort of remember thinking that, like, you just didn't, you know, I just didn't know how to do that. How, how was I going to wind up somewhere in regional Victoria working for a newspaper covering stories that I, I had no idea about? Okay. So I, I, I think I just sort of took it as, as it came. And then it was... Um, it was probably my final year where I travelled to New York as part of a, a, a study program over there and I sort of got the feeling that radio was, was kind of where I wanted to be and um, I had done work experience at, at, at a range of places, um, including the Herald Sun and I did a couple of um, motoring magazines as well because I thought that having a passion for, for motoring, I might uh, look to, to move into that field and, and not understanding at all the type of... Um, you know, technical expertise you need uh, in order to be a motoring journalist. And then, um, yeah, I, I actually uh, was doing some work experience at um, Wynn in Ballarat. Okay. Um, and I knew, and I knew that I didn't want to do TV stuff, but it just so happened that I, on that uh, the week that I was there, on um, someone named Dennis Walter, who um, was the the anchor for the news broadcast there, and which has got along really well. And he invited me to come and observe his program on Three AW on the weekend. And having been part of the, I guess, Three AW family growing up, yeah, I jumped at the opportunity, and it sort of just stemmed from there. And I just sort of, as the year went on in my final year, I sort of just solidified that yeah, radio was probably what I wanted to do. And was really lucky that by the end of the end of my final year, I, I had a casual role at 3AW and was, was pretty much working there a couple of days a week while I was studying. So it's not like I finished the course and said, right, what now? I was already embedded into 3AW and um, it just went from there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and that's where you saw yourself fitting into the industry going forward, just 
mainly in radio and obviously 3AW doesn't have a particular sport that it focuses on, but just generally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that was a good way to start uh, because I, um, you know, because there's so, such a variety of programs and there is sport, as you mentioned, that it didn't mean that I was focusing on just one thing, being either a you know, news and current affair reporter or, you know, I could just, I could sort of dabble in different things, which I, which I really appreciated starting off. So, and I did do that a lot and I sort of jumped from show to show and you just sort of had to be on your toes at all times. You know, you might be working on um, the mornings program, which is, which is Neil Mitchell and it's, you know, it's pretty hardcore news and you're speaking to, you know, the decision makers every day. And then the next week you might be on sort of a lighter entertainment show and then on the weekend you might be producing footy stuff. So, you know, I I loved it starting off. I guess it sort of just snowballed from there. I never, I, I still don't think I've ever sat down and said, like, this is what I want to do with my career. It's just sort of happened as I've gone on. Okay, that's interesting. And so you mentioned you did some internship, an internship or some, got some experience at the Herald Sun and, and yeah. uh, motorsport. So what kind of strategies did you implement in order to, like, develop your skills and gain industry experience? So I, um, I remember um, even when I was at high school, I was sort of, um, trying to get involved with any opportunities. I mean, you sort of have to understand it's it's, it's a long time ago now. So, um, yeah, social media wasn't around, and and those sort of um, leads weren't as easily accessible. So, I was writing a lot to uh, various news organisations, just seeking work experience. Um, in, uh, when I was studying at uni, I remember when I was in Year Twelve, I did like a little spot for the Herald Sun where they tracked how I was going during Year Twelve. Oh, okay. um, and write a little column on it. So I just I just tried to dip toe in the water with as many things as I could. And then when I was studying at uni, I was also doing um, some work at a community radio station near where I lived. So and that was like you know it was like ten till midnight on a Monday night. But it sort of it was just me, and it was just me talking. God knows you know there might have been nobody listening, but it's just you know sort of getting me a bit of practice in the field and understanding what goes into the craft of radio. So I kept really busy, you know, even when I, um, for instance, was on holidays or whatever, I do a lot more stuff just to, just to show because I knew that at the end of the day, anybody looking to hire a graduate journalism student would want to see that, you know, somebody has actually tried to get into the field. It hasn't just sort of happened. They've just gone to university and now they're expecting a role. I sort of understood that from an early age that they wanted to see some sort of effort. So that's, I tried to put that in as much as I could. Yeah. yeah, something that I've been getting from quite a lot of people is that if you want to get the opportunities, especially paid opportunities, you have to have shown that yeah. you have put yourself out there and and you've gone that extra mile to demonstrate your passions and like reflect your real strong interest in the industry or a specific sport, just making it clear that you actually really want to be here and you're going for the next person. Yeah, I, I think that's really hard, at, you know, at, at a young age as well because I sort of remember that I was working, uh, you know, at Macca's and... Same. So I remember sort of like, you know, you want to go out on Saturday nights or you've got, you know, partners, girlfriends, whatever it is. Like it, those are the years that you sort of want to enjoy yourself. And I kind of always felt like I was having to sacrifice a bit of a social life, a personal life in order to get myself ready for when university did come to an end and I felt uni went really really quickly for me so um you know there's a little bit of regret there still now where I go uh, I probably didn't make the most of those years immediately after high school when I was at university but at the same time you know I was working at 3 while I was at uni towards the end there and I felt like I got the jump on a lot of my peers at uni 
Um, and a lot of them sort of, uh, you know, found themselves in roles after graduating that they didn't quite enjoy. And a lot of them sort of just exited the industry altogether. So fortunately, like, I landed, I, I landed on my feet straight away and I'm in this position now where it's, you know, nearly 15 years on and I'm still working in the industry. But at the same time, like, it did take a bit of sacrifice and uh, sort of conscious that I sound like an old man saying that, but, like, that, that's genuinely how it, how it happens. And I didn't have, you know, it was just a, a, by, by chance that I met Dennis and he invited me to do some work experience at Thread. I mean, I got my way in that way, but, like, I didn't have industry connections you know i don't have family members who work in the industry so i just had to do it myself and i knew that i'd have to do it myself the whole time so yeah it's a lot of work but you know it's paid off well how i felt coming out of uni because i felt a bit similar uni went really fast graduated school and then the three years it's gone and then all of a sudden you're expected to have a paid job and be working yeah yeah uh but personally i didn't really feel like that's what I wanted to do. And I mean, COVID's kind of forced me to not do and not to do that anyway. But then I see some of my friends and they're working full time, but their lifestyle and the pressure on them is a lot different. So would you say you felt a bit more like that, the, that you've had to grow up really fast and get stuck into working full time? Uh, yeah, that's probably a good way of putting it. I, I, I do think that I was pretty like because I when I when I did that first sort of experience at, at 3AW like I was 19 and I, you know I think now like Christ like 19 and working here with all the personalities and the topics they cover like I was so far out of my depth it wasn't funny but I guess like that old adage like you know and it's such a cliche but like you know fake it till you make it like I probably put on the appearance that I knew more about stories or who people were than I probably did and just sort of like to shut my mouth until I was fully versed in what it, you know, what the station was about, what we, what the expectations were and just sort of really just observed everybody as to like what makes that person a good producer, what makes that person a good host and like what can I learn from them. So I guess that, you know, there was, there was an element of immaturity when I first started and, but I, I sort of think back to by the time I was sort of 21, 22, like, uh, by the time I was 22, I was like a senior producer and, you know, I was seeing people come in who were older than me, you know, and who this was their first role and they, I sort of felt like, well, you know, I've already got a, you know, I've got a salary, I've got a contract, I've got a really steady job and I'm doing good things and I'm younger than them. So I took a bit of pride out of that even though, mm. you know, there was a lot of sacrifice and there was a lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah of course. And do you f- but do you feel like that's put less pressure on your career in then the following years? So then when... The- people are not catching up to you but getting that more solidified role did you feel like you were a bit more relaxed about your career development yeah i I, um i'm probably somebody who never i've never quite felt relaxed um i sort of not that i get itchy feet but I, i do like to be ahead of the curve all the time in in what the next thing is and um you know i know we'll get to it later on but i, I probably felt that I'd come to the end of my tether at Carlton, so it was on to the next thing. And whereas, you know, a lot of people I observe, they're able to sort of stick to roles for, for years and years and years and years. And, you know, you ask them, like, well, what are you, like, why are you doing it? Like, and it's like, wow, you know, there's nothing better and, like, it's all right and, like, I know what I'm doing. And so I've never really felt that way. That's probably a personality trait. But, yeah, I, I just, it's not, it's funny, like, until, you know, I got invited to, to speak to you. Like, you don't really think about it that much. Like, yeah. here I am, it's like it's 2020 and I'm doing this role. Like, I haven't really thought back, like, oh, gee, that was a good decision. That was a bad decision, whatever it was. It's just, here I am. 
And I guess that I'm probably thinking like, what's next for me? What am I doing? Where do I want to be? Rather than, gee, it worked out okay in the past. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'm sure you make the best decision about how, for, based on how you felt at the time. And Yeah, and yeah, that's, that's spot on. Yeah, so I want to now get stuck into a bit of exactly what you've done. So obviously you've been a producer yeah. for a number of radio shows for 3AW. Can you explain, because personally, I don't really know what a radio producer does. Uh, and sure. so what is the role of a radio producer and what are the, some of the key responsibilities that a producer has? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a lot of people don't, don't understand what goes into it. Like, so at the moment, I'm executive producer of 3W Drive. So that's on air from 3 to 6 each, each weekday. And the show is hosted by a guy called Tom Elliott. Yeah. And... So in my role as executive producer, like I'm the most senior producer on the program, um, I've got an assistant producer and junior producer who report into me. Um, there's a panel operator on the program too. So that's, that's a behind-the-scenes team. So basically my role is uh, it's twofold. It's, it's, it's to make sure the host basically has everything they need every day and that, that might mean research, the interviews they want, the stories they want to cover, but it also there's a, there's a fair bit of personal logistical stuff too to make sure that he's happy and, and he's um, fully briefed as to what's happened to the station. And so there's a fair bit of admin that gets to it like that. In terms of putting the show together, what we'll do is Tom will Tom send through his, um, his story list of an evening and then early in the morning as to the stories that have caught his eye that he, he's particularly interested in speaking about. And when we come into work each day, we, I sort of get in at about 9 o'clock for the, for three hours, we'll sort of just scour the newspapers all around the country and all around the world, just to make sure that we've covered all the uh, the stories that you know we think the audience might be interested in. And certainly, what Tom might be interested in as well. And there's also an ear as to what's going on on the, on the station. We we don't like to double up interviews or double up topics necessarily mm-hmm. unless it's a big story. So, um, you know, it's sort of like listening to the station from the moment I wake up, coming into work, having an ear on what's going on on air. And then also just reading every paper cover to cover to, to get across the stories we need to be across and also try and find nuggets of, you know, gee, nobody's spoken about this. This would be really interesting for the, for the audience and Tom would really like this. So we meet at 12 o'clock each day and we basically go through that list, um, you know, between our suggestions and his suggestions and we try and nut out what the program will look like from three to six and what time um, we speak to certain people and what interviews we do and which subjects we, co- we cover and why we do the particular times we do and what we're trying to get out of those interviews. That's all, that's all nutted out in that sort of 12 to 1 o'clock hour. And then right. for a couple of hours, we're chasing interviews. Um, and by the time we get to, to air at 3 o'clock, we've pretty much got the show locked away. And then if something breaks or um, something falls through, like I've got an assistant producer who, who's chasing that type of stuff and I'm just making sure that um, while the show's on air, you know, Tom's saying all the right things. Um, if he needs assistance with any of the facts or any information, like I'm constantly talking in his ear while he's broadcasting and making sure that all the calls that are coming through to my junior producer are, you know, in the right order to, you know, so the show flows really well. I'm making sure that um, we're hitting all the commercial breaks on time, that all the all the credits, like, you know, segments that are sponsored or any sponsor mentions that need to get in, into the program and make sure that those are hit as well. So like I'm sort of eyes and ears over the show, just overarching responsibility from three to six and make sure everything goes smoothly. And yep. then, yeah, there's, there's a lot of admin that goes with that as well. So that's, that's my role as an executive producer. 
and this is the first time I've, you know, I've been an executive producer for a news and current affairs program. You know, assistant producers, as I said, like she's my assistant producers, like chasing interviews, um, finding information out, like the things that might be breaking, make, you know, writing scripts for Tom to, to make sure that he's across what that breaking news is. And, and um, yeah, she's basically looking for information during the show too to make sure that we're as current as possible. So it's a bit convoluted, but that's, that's the role, yeah. yeah. You mentioned figuring out when to talk about certain things. So can you give me an example of what a topic that you might choose to talk about at 4 o'clock as opposed to talking at 5.30 and what decision-making yeah. goes behind that? Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned those, t- those times because I, I would... I would say that, you know, especially that, uh, before COVID, five o'clock was sort of seen as the, as the prime interview time because, you know, just, just thinking about how people consume the radio normally that time is in their cars. So, you know, you assume that most people are getting to their car at five o'clock and switching the radio on. So we always try to sort of line up the, the biggest interview, like the most important interview at that time. But that sort of shifted to four o'clock for whatever reason this year where, a lot more people working from home and are tuning in earlier. So the old sort of process has gone out the window and we're now look, looking to line up our most prominent interview at four o'clock. So it's sort of, and what we're trying to do with it is that we're trying to get an interview or an opinion that means that we'll, we'll elicit a, re, a reaction from the audience. So the four o'clock interview is usually either the, the most controversial opinion or somebody who's going to ruffle feathers or somebody who's, who's come up an, with an idea that we know that, people will be torn about so we're trying to line that person up out at four o'clock so that we've got um, a decent amount of time afterwards to take calls and get the reaction of the audience and we can sort of pepper the rest of the show with those type of callers and for 5 30 you know people are winding down on our show so we uh, don't necessarily go too hard with that 5 30 interview where it's something you know big political sort of barnstorming editorial anything like that we tend to keep it a little lighter at that stage and sort of ease out of the program like that it's, it's a bit of light yeah. and shade basically yeah right and i assume most of your decisions are based on i presume you get a lot of data do you get live listen listeners no nah, no not that, at all like yeah, yeah but no nah, it's, it's not so it's actually one of the things that hasn't changed since i started in the industry is ratings and we get ratings every couple of months you didn't even get like the next day no no not at all like it's it's not like tv at all with with radio we're sort of finding out every couple of months how we're tracking and um we get in those ratings we get sort of breakdowns every 15 minutes and we can tell you know how long people are listening to the station for how long they're listening to segments for etc etc but it's a bit of an inexact science so we're sort of you know it's tried and true i guess but like you're, you're you're hoping that the switchboard lights up and you get a maximum amount of calls at all times. Mm. It's become easier of late because of digital as well. You can tell which stories people are particularly interested in um, once they're posted online and on social media. You can, you can see the reach and the engagement levels. Oh, okay. So that's made life a little bit easier. Yeah. So, yeah, so we know that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's quite inexact actually. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Digital Rookie Podcast. This was part one of my chat with 3AW's Luca Ganano. Stay tuned for part two where we get into Luca's experience working as a digital media lead for the Carlton Football Club. If you get to subscribe to the podcast, please do so. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And I will catch you on the next episode.